you got a Bible, let's go to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. We've been going through a series called The Core of Kitaba. And what this series has been is it's simply not been looking at who our church is as much as what we value. What do we value as a church? And uh, if you hadn't noticed on your bulletin every week, it's not the same picture. The yellow color moves a symbol every week, okay? So we have been going through all the different symbols. So look on your bulletin and you can see which one we're dealing with this week. It's the one on the far right. Uh, we're dealing with selfless generosity. But the other weeks, we've been dealing with some of the, our other values. There's five. The first value we dealt with on the very first week of the series was... Well, there's three of you who know what it is, so at least there's three. At least there's not none, okay? So the first value was gospel centrality, and let's read it together. The good news of God's grace is our hope. Let's stop right there. Is the good news of God's grace your hope? Because if it's not, it can be this morning. It can be at any point in your life. It doesn't have to be here. It can be when you go home but it's a decision to follow after him. The good news of God's grace is our hope. Let's continue reading. It is the center of everything we believe and impacts everything we do. Gospel centrality. It's our first value that we dealt with. The second value was not gospel centrality, but a kingdom mentality. Let's read this together. The church is furthered when everyone serves together. As members of one body, we use our diverse gifts for the sake of God's kingdom. We talked about it all that week. It's not just this church, it's whose kingdom? God's kingdom. It's not Catawba Valley's kingdom, it's God's kingdom. So that means things might happen that aren't at Catawba Valley that we should be all about furthering because it's God's kingdom. The third week, we dealt with a value called biblical literacy. And we're going to read that together. It says this, the Bible is for everyone. Through the living word, we learn of God and his story, which equips us for every good work. We believe the Bible is for everyone. It's not just for pastors. It's just not for teachers. It's just not for deacons. It's just not for, if you've been a Christian for a long time, the Bible is literally for everyone. So that's why in our children's classes, we don't just watch movies. We don't just sit there. We try to seek to teach the Bible through various means. And yes, they'll have a good time, but the Bible matters. That's why if you come to a Sunday school uh, class or a life group, we should say, not Sunday school, life group. If you come to a life group, you'll hear the Bible taught. Yeah, it's community. Yeah, you'll get food. Yeah, you'll build relationships. But the Bible's going to be there because the Bible's for everyone. And then last week, we dealt with our fourth value, and that was intentional community. And I agree with Pastor Aaron. When we're out and about, the number one thing that people say about this local body is always something about the community that they see or feel when they come here. But that doesn't mean that we can just be content with that and say, oh man, we got great community, you know, we're just going to put it on autopilot. Intentional community is something that you have to practice and work at. So let's read it together. The Christian community is vital for Christian growth. As a family, we live and strive together to deepen our faith and experience God's grace. Sorry about I put an extra word in there. You can, you can be a Christian and not go to church, but I have a very hard time believing that you can be a growing Christian and not go to church. And I think that as a Christian, you're going to feel a missing part of your life if you're not at church. Church is 
an imperfect group of people that makes no sense on human terms. You ever thought about that? God decided that the best way to take his mission to the entire world was through us. Now, I don't know about you, but look at your life this week, and if it was anything like my life, that's a joke, right? Why would God want to use me when he has the power to literally create something perfect and something without any flaws to take his message? He could have made a perfect little robot that would go around and convince everyone of the goodness of his grace and to tell his message perfectly, but instead he chose to use you and he chose to use me. And you might say, man, I just, I, I don't, I, I've had some things happen to me before in my life at church, and this place has been a place of healing, but I just still have a hard time with church. That's because churches are imperfect. <laughs> but we have to work at having intentional community that honors and glorifies God. Today, we're dealing with our last value. Number five, and it's selfless generosity. Now, I'm just going to be straightforward with you right up front. This is not something that I have always excelled at in my life. In fact, when I found out I was going to be speaking on this value, I was like, ha, that's funny, you know? When my wife and I are out and about, she is the generous person. As an example, two weeks ago, we were out to eat with some friends celebrating a birthday, and uh, we drove separately, so I was in downtown Roanoke. How many of y'all hate going downtown? Anybody like me? Okay, so I'm not alone. Okay, great. I thought I was the only one. So I got down there 10 minutes early, and guess what? It took me 10 minutes to find a parking space on a back alley on the back side, half a mile away. So I got parked, and I was already like, man, okay, this is annoying. And so we were trying to surprise the, um, the couple. It was the wife. We were trying to surprise her with a birthday surprise. You ever been to a surprise dinner? We were trying to do that. So I'm like walking down the street, and they start driving by, and there's cars along the street, but here's the problem. I found out that day I am so large that I cannot hide behind a normal-sized car. <laughs> I was ducking. I was trying to bend over. And um, I got in the restaurant, and I was like, man, maybe I, like, saved the surprise. They walk in, and they're like, ha, surprise, we saw you walking on the street. And I was like, that's a problem if I cannot hide behind a normal-sized car. But anyway, so we got set down. We're waiting on Emily. Emily hadn't showed up yet. So we're just sitting there. Still waiting. All of a sudden, she walks in, and I'm like, okay, babe, this is kind of awkward, you know? Like, you were supposed to be here. You were in town already. Like, you should have been here. She was like, I need you to come outside with me. And I was like, I don't want to go outside. You just got in from outside. I don't want to be, I want to be here ordering food and drinking water, okay? And she was like, no, there's a guy out there who, um, who I, want to, I want to give some, something to because I think he's needing something. And uh, I just don't have anything to give him. So can you come outside? And also, I don't want to, like, help go, like, anywhere to buy him food because I don't want to go somewhere by myself. Now, my pastorly response was, are you serious? <laughs> now, not very pastorly. And she goes, yeah, I'm serious. Okay. So we got up outside and went outside. Now, the point of that story is to show you selfless generosity is not my greatest strong suit. But I think we're learning in this together. And as I read over some of the passage that will be in this week and looked over and studied over this, I found out this week how ungenerous I am. And maybe you're going to be like me and you're going to find that out this morning. Let's read it together. Selfless generosity, it means that the goodness of God has given us everything. 
We leverage our time, talent, and treasure for the glory of his name. I hope you found Mark chapter 14. We're going to be looking at a story this morning, a story that some people have confused. Uh, This is a story about how Jesus enters into a village. Well, he says that he's staying in a village called Bethany, and he is there. And he goes into the house of Simon a leper. This story is going to be also repeated in the other gospels. Specifically, a a famous uh, repetition of this is going to be in the gospel of John. Now, this is not the same story in Luke chapter 7. Okay, There's another Simon in Luke chapter 7, and there's another lady who uh, pours a perfume or ointment onto uh, Jesus. And the stories are very similar, but they're very different. One reason is it didn't happen in the same place. Okay. Okay. So geographically, we already have a problem. This happened to Bethany. That one happened probably in a place up in Galilee, possibly a little village called Nain. This is have a timeline problem, right? I don't know if you've read through the Gospel of Luke and compared it to Mark, but Luke chapter 7 is a different time than Mark chapter 14, okay? So we have a geographical and a timeline, timeline that does not match up, which tells us This is different. We also have a third thing. It's a different Simon. This is Simon the leper. That was Simon the Pharisee. And guess what? Leprosy and Pharisees don't mix if you've read anything in the Gospels. So this is a completely and utterly different story with very similar elements, but not to be confused. Mark chapter 14 finds Jesus preparing for his death. We're, we're only two days, actually, from uh, the Passover, from the Last Supper, right? You read that there in the first couple of verses. It says in verse 1, in Mark chapter 14, it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests of the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him, for they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Now, we all know that it ends up happening where they do arrest him right during around that time, and like everything kind of goes haywire, but they are seeking, it's at a fever pitch right now, the plan to kill Jesus. And Jesus, being the Son of God, knows. He's preparing for his death, when he would give everything to and for us. And so he's in Bethany, and it says in verse 3, and while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, As he was reclining at a table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. By the way, go over and read the Gospel of John, and you'll find that those some is Judas, the man who would end up betraying Jesus very shortly thereafter. It says, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Now, 
As we seek to understand this passage, there's a couple of things that we need to understand before moving on if we are going to understand the story correctly. The fact that they are in the house of Simon the leper is a big deal because that means that Simon does not have leprosy anymore or else they wouldn't be there because they would have been getting the disease. This is most likely Simon, who formerly was a leper, who was healed by a miracle of Jesus. Instantly, we're confronted with the miraculous power of Jesus in reading this story. Jesus has the power over the most deepest and darkness physical ailments that we can imagine. At that time, leprosy, it's a death sentence. It's social outcast instantly. Your life is instantly ruined. But Jesus healed this man out of his grace and mercy. Another thing that we need to understand is what in the world is a flask of pure nard? Well, if you have a different translation, it might read spike nard. And you're like, well, that really helps us. Thanks, Stephen. I'm really glad that you pointed that out. Well, this nard is from which perfume was made a plant that most likely grew in South Asia in the East India region, East Indies, uh, India region, South Asia region, which was a small slender stalk and it had a heavy, thick root. In fact, in those days, some of the best perfume in the world was obtained from this root. This is the Gucci perfume of the day, okay? This This is the big time. You don't just throw around a flask of nard. Like, this is kind of a big deal. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, read down and see how much Judas, uh, from reading over in John, said it was worth. He said, this could have been sold and given to the poor for 300 denarii. Now, what's a denarii? Well, it comes from Latin, a denarius, a Roman silver corn, which which was generally equated to a day's wage. So think about this. This is a bottle of perfume that cost about 300 days wages. Remember how we equated it to Gucci before? Very similar here, okay? This is a really, really, really expensive bottle of perfume. And we find if we go over in John and read, this woman is none other than Mary, the sister of Jesus and sister of, Mar- or sister of Lazarus, and sister of Martha. And Mary wants to worship Jesus. And what she does is she brings her most valuable possession and anoints him with it. Now, you look up the term generosity in the dictionary, and I did so this week. I didn't find it very helpful. It said, the act of giving with a generous attitude. I was unaware that you could define a word with the same word that you had, okay? So generosity is being generous. All right, let's go home, right? We learned what generosity is. I would differ with the dictionary a little bit here. I believe this morning what we're going to seek to see from this text is that generosity is not just giving. In fact, I've met some people who give a whole lot of things, but they are not very generous. You can give without being generous. Generosity just does not equal giving. In fact, I believe we're going to see from this story that generosity, yes, it is an act of giving, but it is done so 
from a heart full of worship and an attitude of humility. Generosity. Being willing to offer everything you have for someone else. One time, a uh, friend back a while ago, uh, so it's not one of you, okay? So you can rest easy. Uh, But a friend gave me a Christmas present, okay? And uh, he gave me this present, and I had forgotten that I was supposed to get a Christmas present for him. Has that ever happened to you before? Anybody ever been, like, called in that awkward position? Okay, maybe just three of us, okay? But I felt really awkward, so he bought this for me, and I was like, hey, thanks. I left your present at home. Now, I sinned because I lied, okay? So confession number one. Uh, But also, I was like, man, this is a real bummer. So what did I do? I took his present home, and I opened it to see what he had given me so I could give a present of correct value back to him. Anybody ever done that before? Be honest. Yes, thank you. Glad someone else has done that, okay? Now, was that generous? But I gave him a present of equal value. You see, many of us have a payback theology of generosity. Jesus gave me a lot, so I'm going to give him a lot. That person gave me something, so I'm going to pay them back and give them something. Generosity is not about paying back. Generosity is from a heart full of worship and an attitude of humility. Because guess what? If you're trying to pay back God, have fun. You're never going to do it. We give back to him out of worship. So this morning, we are going to look in this story, and we're going to see three simple things that generosity is not. And then we're going to see what it truly is. The first thing in this story that we see generosity is not, is that generosity is not determined by what you give. We saw it in the story. What did she give? What? She gave her most valuable possession, but it was a flask of of nard. Okay? Now, This was instantly critiqued by Judas and others, according to Mark. You see, they did not think that she gave the correct thing or gave it in the correct way. The amount of time, talent, and treasure is not the point of generosity. Yes, she gave her most valuable, but it was technically not money. So was it actually what was correct? She gave a tangible gift. You see, if we're not careful, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that if we give a certain particular possession or a certain amount of money, that we are generous. But it's just not true. We cannot. We do it as well with ministry. We, we talked about it just a second ago with our payback theology. You know, well, somebody ministered me, so I'll minister to them. My child's receiving ministry, so I'll minister to another child in the church. Mary brought perfume to worship Jesus. She was generous in doing so, but it was a very strange gift. You see, it was a typical custom to anoint your visitors in those days with oil, right? You travel, you're dirty, you're stinky. So they're going to anoint them with oil. But she brings her own 
perfume, which is strange. And she does, she gives it in a way that is shameful. You say, what do you mean? Well, if you read another version of this story, it says that she wiped his feet with her hair. I mean, the whole idea of wiping your hair on somebody's feet is just like absolutely and utterly embarrassing and disgusting. I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe you're like, man, that's not that big of a deal. Okay, go for it, man. <laughs> uh, come on up here right now and do that, and we'll see how uh, willing you are, right? It's absolutely disgusting. Also, many times in that culture, you would not necessarily let your hair down, especially also in front of someone. So this is just like a weird, strange story, okay? It's just odd. She gives an odd gift in an odd way. And she was accused of being wasteful. But she gave this gift to worship who? Her king. She gave this gift to worship her king. She sacrificed what she had. You see, God doesn't just want your money. He wants your life. God doesn't just want your talent. He wants your life. He doesn't just want your treasure He wants everything that you are. He doesn't believe in payback economics of generosity. He believes in complete sacrifice. And guess what? We have a perfect model of that sacrifice. Jesus is our perfect model. He's preparing for his death. He's preparing to be the Passover lamb. He knows it. He is about to give everything to his disciples. He's about to give everything to the people present. He's about to give everything to Mary. He is the model of generosity. Philippians 2 puts it this way, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus gave everything he had. He is our model. He sacrificed himself for us. He sacrificed himself for Mary. And Mary gave, I believe, everything she had at her disposal. She didn't care about the value. She didn't care that she had to reach some certain type of gift, she gave generously because she loved her king and she wanted to worship him. Tim Keller says, a lack of generosity refuses to acknowledge that your assets are not really yours, but God's. You see, we can grow and live in an assumption that everything we have is ours but I was kind of thinking when I heard Alan's text from from the hospital, that assumption's false, isn't it? Because everything that we have can be taken away instantly. Like that. So in reality, nothing is truly ours. But we still try to deceive ourselves and live that way sometimes. I know I do. 
That's not generosity. Generosity is understanding whose you are and who has everything that you have. And that's God himself. Generosity is not determined by what you give. Secondly, we see in this story that generosity is not determined by what others think. We do not give for what others think of us. You know, the offering plate's coming by and you're like, you do the whole slow place in the plate. You ever done that one? To where like it's coming through and you're just like, hold that plate right there, you know? Let's make sure everybody knows that I'm giving. You're like, man, I would never do that. Okay. Maybe it's doing something to where you know if you do that thing, somebody will give you recognition for it. I'm going to give up my time in this way so that I can be noticed by the most people so that I can be recognized and be thanked. That's not generosity. We don't give for what others think of us. Have you ever had a friend where they give you something, but they give you something in a way that they make sure you know that they're generous? You ever had a friend like that? They're like, hey, look, I just want you to have this gift. Now, let me explain. This gift is really expensive, okay? I, I, I mean, I had to do a lot of things to get this gift for you. And I really just want you to have it because you mean so much to me. And look, you can't, like, there's no use to try and pay back for this. This is just so much. Like, I don't want you to feel bad. So I'm going to give this to you. And you're just like, well, I feel like a piece of trash right now. Thank you for trying to not make me feel bad, right? That's not what generosity is. Generosity is giving out of a heart full of worship and an attitude of humility. Generosity is not determined by what others think of the gift that I have given. Generosity is not something done to be seen. Because you know, quite frankly, everyone will always have an opinion of you, but rarely is it complete or right. I think when I see that generosity is not about what you give, but also it's not about what other people think. I think of the widow in Mark 12. Jesus is sitting there and he's sitting by the treasury box, the offering box, if, if you want to put it that way. It says, many rich, rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins. And he said to the disciples, or those who were there with him, most likely some of the disciples, he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Nobody else there except Jesus thought she put in a lot. (laughs) Guaranteed. That would be the equivalent of you putting in a penny in the offering plate when it comes by today, and everybody on your row is like looking at you like, wow, (laughs) glad you give here. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for your penny. But it was important to Jesus because she gave of what she had. Generosity is not determined by what you give, and generosity is most definitely not determined by what others think of what you give. Because that is not what generosity is about. Thirdly, we see that generosity is also not determined by your ability to give. Now, I want to explain this because 
it is, in a sense, determined a little bit by your ability to give, but it is not determined how generous you are based on your abilities. That is what we are trying to say. I grew up in church ever since I was a little kid, and I remember we would go to all these different churches, and I remember some churches you would walk into, and you could tell instantly who ran the church. I was just a little kid, and I could pick up on it. And it was the person who gave the most money. I'm the most generous, so therefore I have the biggest opinion. I think Jesus would differ on that. I think he would say his opinion's the best, biggest opinion, but that's just, I mean, what it says. Generosity is not determined by your ability. Just because you have a bigger ability to give does not mean you are more generous. And just because you have lesser ability to give does not make you less generous. Generosity is born out of a heart full of worship and an attitude of humility. It says in this passage that she has done what she could. Literally, she has done, she has practiced. That's what that word kind of lends to. She's, she's, she's accomplished to what she is able. Her level of ability is here. She went to here. She didn't try and go steal something and break the law and go into debt and do all these things to try and show Jesus how much she loved him. Her ability was here, and she went to here. She has done what she could. And Jesus said, let her alone. Let her alone. Our abilities do not determine how we give to God. C.H. Spurgeon said, In all of my years of service to my Lord, I have discovered a truth that has never failed and has never been compromised. That truth is that it is beyond the realm of possibilities that one has the ability to outgive God. Even if I give the whole of my worth to him, he will find a way to give back to me much more than I gave. You see, generosity is when I throw my abilities out the window and I give it all over to him and say, here you go. What you give back to me is fine and what you take is fine. When everyone gives of their ability, God takes it and multiplies it into something extraordinary. I think of 2 Corinthians 8. Paul writes and he says, we want, to know, we want you to know, brothers. He's writing to the church at Corinth. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. Giving and poverty normally don't go together in our mind. But in their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this is not what we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. A specific ability does not equal generosity. Some of the most able persons are the least generous. But Paul recognized this and he said, you know what? 
these people, they gave what they could. And God's the one who took it and multiplied it and took their generosity and he made it extraordinary. Why? Because they first gave themselves to the Lord completely and wholly. And it overflowed to us. You see, that's what generosity is. I don't believe that you can be fully generous without first giving everything you have to God and then letting the overflow of what you give to him affect others. Because the overflow that runs off from everything you give to God is going to be a whole lot more than you ever would give out of yourself. We've been saying it all morning. These, are, these three things are not what generosity is, but instead generosity is born out of a heart full of worship and an attitude of humility, and Mary exampled that. She exampled that, but she exampled it not perfectly because our perfect example of generosity is our Savior. He gave humbly, so Mary gave humbly. He gave everything. Mary gave everything she had. She gave what she could. Therefore, we ought to give back everything humbly in a lifestyle of worship. Mary wanted to show her worship and give to her king. Imagine being Mary. I don't know if you ever read through stories and you think about them. I'd encourage you to do so. Like, the stuff that happened in the Bible actually happened. Like, imagine being Mary. Jesus is in Bethany. If you know anything about Mary, she was going to be jumping for joy, running around, telling every single person, right? You remember the story? She sat at the feet of Jesus, right? She's worshiping him. She loves Jesus. Her whole family loves Jesus. Lazarus and Martha are just like, yes! Martha instantly goes and starts baking a cake, right? Poor Martha. Uh, but without Martha's, right, there would not be some of the story. So Martha, she starts prepping. I think Lazarus is just like, the Savior's coming. The person who gave me my life back. Mary's just ecstatic. She's like, yes, like this is the best thing ever. I'm going to turn off March Madness and I'm going to get ready for Jesus being here, right? And then she's thinking, how can I show my gratitude? How can I show my honor? How can I show my respect for the Christ? the master. How can I honor the Messiah? Think about it. She's like looking through her house, you know? Well, I have a shawl. <laughs> probably don't need to give him a shawl. He probably has one, okay? Also, it's not a very good shawl. I mean, it's not that great. She comes over and she finds a pair of shoes, her sandals, right? She's like, well, I mean, if he needs one, I can give it to him, but, you know, I'm not going to give that. But what does she find? Man, there's that flask of nard. <laughs> Saving that. <laughs> I was hoping to, like, get ready for a, a big date that I had next week, right? They didn't do it like that, just if you're wondering, okay? And I get that they didn't do it like that. I was making a cultural reference. But she's like, man, there's that bottle of nard. And it's 300 days wages, so this is like a prized thing. I mean, I could give that, you know. But what does she do? She grabs it willingly. 
She goes to the Savior. She anoints him. She humbles herself in his presence and others, takes down her hair, and wipes his feet in the most humble, selfless act of generosity and worship that she could. She has done what she could. And Jesus said, that's, that's a blessed thing. In fact, her story will be known wherever the gospel is proclaimed. And guess what? <laughs> it is! <laughs> it's right there in front of your eyes. The Bible contains the good news of the gospel and Mark literally takes that story and puts it in very specifically. So does John. And so we see that Mary's worship touched the heart of the Master. So, you say, Stephen, that's great. Great information. Thanks for breaking down the story. But, like... I don't really get where this touches me right here in Catawba on Sunday, April 3rd at 11.47 a.m. I don't get it. Well, we need to ask ourselves some questions, right? Because that's what application is. You ask yourself a question and seeking to answer that, you apply the truth to your life. So... Let's just start out with like the big question. Do you think you're generous? I don't know about you, but I find that a really tough question to just be like, yes, I'm generous. It's not a dollar amount. He wants your life. It's not a specific gift. He wants your everything. He doesn't want your Sunday morning worship. He wants a life overflowing with worship. So, have you completely surrendered everything you are and everything you have over to God? I mean, if we're going to answer the question, am I generous? Let's just start there. Is it all his? Yes. So if he takes it away this afternoon, what do we do then? Now, that's where the rubber meets the road, right? Because we should say, praise him. But what happens if it actually happens? That will show, that scenario shows how much we have surrendered over to him, right? How we answer that. Are you seeking to actively give back to the Lord generously as you are able? Do you seek to give back to him actively? Actively, consistently as you are able. Of your time, talent, and treasure. Does your generosity to God overflow into being generous with those around you? That story that I told at the very beginning, it was kind of a humorous story, but like for real. Are you more like my wife or more like me? They're just going to take it and buy something that they're going to ruin their life with. Okay. Probably true in some aspects. Go buy him a sandwich. I didn't finish the story earlier, but 
that's actually what we did. We went out and said, hey, we'll walk over to that restaurant right now and buy you food. He walked away. Okay, well, we tried. But we wouldn't have known that if we hadn't tried. And I wouldn't have tried if it hadn't been for my wife being spirit-led and coming in and challenging my ungenerous heart and to challenge me to be more like Jesus. Does your generosity not just go upward, but does it overflow outward to others? I would encourage you to answer this question. What is one specific area that you have the ability to be more generous in, but you are holding back in? None! (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's funny, you know? Yeah, cool. I can name about two or three, (laughs) so... Yeah, I'm glad that you have none, right? We probably all have one specific area that we could be more generous in. What is it? And let's be more generous in it as an act of worship to the Lord. Here's a question. Are you more concerned with others approving of and seeing your gift than the eternal difference it will make? Perfect time for the AC to cut out. Silence, right? Am I more concerned with a thank you or am I more concerned with the worship that I'm giving to the Lord? Am I more concerned with recognition or am I more concerned with seeking to help someone out of the overflow of what I have that the Lord has blessed me with? What am I more concerned with? Because generosity will not be concerned with what others think. Does the great generosity of God towards you make you stand in awe? Or have you grown cold to it? Now this was a question that I asked myself this week as I was preparing. And I have to admit, I think there's some areas of my life that was a little cold to the generosity of God in my life. Because you see, the first and biggest thing that drives me towards being generous is understanding that he has been generous to me. Let's read our value again. It says at the very beginning, the goodness of God has given us everything. So we leverage our time, talent, and treasure for the glory of his name. Are you in awe of everything that he's given you? I mean, I was thinking about it this week, and I was like, man, like, I want to complain about this. I want to complain about this, I want to complain about this, I want to complain about this, 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 this. I was coming up with all my complaints in life, right? You ever been there? I had a good long list going too, and I was like rolling, I was like in the zone, you know? And then I was just like struck with like, but God's given me this, he's given me this, he's given me this. And in fact, because of his generosity to me right now, I am so blessed that I'm complaining about completely superficial things that no one else probably would want to complain about. Why is that? Because my heart's grown cold to his generosity. And as my heart has grown cold to his generosity, I am not being generous towards others because I am not recognizing that he has given me everything. Everything is his. 
I'm not worshiping him like Mary. I'm not seeking to give him all I can, but I'm holding back because I am cold. My heart is cold. Are you living a life of selfless generosity or are you deceiving yourself with false generosity? That's the last question. You see, we can deceive ourselves into coming to church once a week, twice a week. I mean, hey, we're like doing really good. We might get here out here like for both services and be at a life group. And I might even like read my Bible like during the week. Give of our time, give of our resources, give of our talent. We can do all those things and deceive ourselves into thinking we're generous. Because if our heart is not seeking to worship him in everything we're giving, and we are not doing it out of an attitude of humility, we've missed it. Are you practicing selfless generosity in your life? We'll close with this quote. John MacArthur said this, God made all of his creation to give. He made the sun, the moon, the stars, the clouds, the earth, the plants to give. He also designed his supreme creation, man, to give. But fallen man is the most reluctant giver in all of God's creation. Let's not be reluctant givers. Let's not be those who deceive ourselves and give, but we are not doing it out of a heart of worship. Let us seek in the days to come to value selfless generosity, giving out of a heart full of worship and an attitude of humility. Let's bow our heads this morning and close our eyes. And uh, this morning, I would encourage you to answer some of those questions that we asked. Are you practicing selfless generosity? You know, only two people really know. It's you and the Lord. Because again, generosity is not determined by what others think. So I would encourage you right now, just where you're at, to bow your head and close your eyes and to just seek the Lord. Jessica is going to play something on the piano. And as she's playing, I would encourage you to take this time to just seek him. Ask him, am I being as generous as I should? Am I practicing it selflessly and to the level that you have called me to? If not, what area do I need to grow in? And also, I would encourage you during this time to think through the question, am I in awe of the generosity of God or has my heart grown cold to everything he has given me? And if it is, ask him to soften your heart. Ask him to work in your heart. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are generous to us. You are a good, good father who gives to us in every way. You give frequently, you give liberally, and we praise you for that and we thank you for that. Lord, we just thank you for your model to us of how to give. And we ask that you, Lord, would lead us to be generous.
and our lifestyles. And in Jesus' name, amen.